East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Welcome back to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. I am Paul Fox, and this is episode 67 for Tuesday, May 31st, 2011. And joining me, as always, from some location here in the Fragrant Harbor is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hello, everybody. How's it going, Kevin? I'm all right, Paul. How about yourself? Can't complain. Can't complain. We're uh, getting ready to head into June now, last day of uh, May, and it's really hot. I don't know what else to say. I think I'm not going to survive the summer. Oh, you do. Come on, you live. You, you've lived here for how many years now? Eight, nine, uh, about year. ten. Yeah, ten years. Yeah, come on, get into spirit. There's yeah. a. I don't know. It just seems like every year I'm turning on the air conditioning a little bit sooner, a little bit earlier. Um, I don't know. I feel like I'm going to melt away this this year. Hopefully that won't happen. Um, but we're not here to talk about the summertime. At least not yet. We'll be talking about summer films. Uh, in some upcoming episodes, but this is the show where we do what? We talk about films from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. Uh, what kind of in-between stuff do you think we'll be talking about today, Kevin? Um, ice, the ocean, I suppose. <laughs> Global warming? Who knows? Global warming? Uh, yeah, bad movies, mo- most likely. Um, yeah. Yeah. So before we get into our bad movies this week, which will include uh, A Beautiful Life and a film called Love and Other Impossible Pursuits, also known as The Other Woman, why don't we get into some really bad news? All right. The first bit of news, not really bad. Uh, if bad is good, we could say it's, uh, it's kind of bad. Uh, the Hobbit finally had uh, its titles and release dates announced. Uh, this coming from, I guess, uh, the studios through their through the Facebook page. I, I found it on some other sites, and it got uh, bounced over to the original source on the Facebook page. But the, Hobbit, the two Hobbit films, it's being broken up into two parts, have been titled uh, The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey, and The Hobbit, There and Back Again. Um, so these will be the titles of the two films, respectively, with the first one opening on December 14th, 2012, and the follow-up sequel to be released a year later on December 13th, 2013. Um, I don't know about that second one. If, if that's a Friday opening on December 13th, Friday the 13th, 2013, that's not really a good omen, is it? Um, it's done well for certain movies, like I think, uh, Friday the 13th, I guess. Uh, I'm not sure if that means The Hobbit 2 will be a horror movie or yeah. something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. No, it, it's uh, Strategically, it's right. You know, it's the holiday season. Uh, and uh, the first Lord of the Rings, though, the three Lord of the Rings movies open around the same time. So I guess they, they're staying safe and just releasing it during that time really helps. Um, since I guess you have that familiarity, but, you know... It's just the titles, I guess. I mean, these are, are these 
what do you think about the titles, Paul? I mean, Unexpected Journey, Darren Back Again. It, it well, sounds like Discovery Channel nature documentaries. Yeah, I, I don't know about the first one so much, An Unexpected Journey. Um, but I mean, wasn't Lord of the Rings also an Unexpected Journey? It's, yeah, kind of. Um, but There and Back Again actually has some premise within the work because that's the right. title of the memoir, if I remember correctly, that uh, yeah. Bilbo actually writes about right, right. about his trip right. with the dwarves. Um, so that one, I think, works okay. I don't know. I'm not sure about An Unexpected Journey. But, you know, we'll, we'll go with it. Maybe they might change it between now and then. Um, I'm really excited about the cast, though. Uh, Martin Freeman is going to be taking up uh, Bilbo Baggins. Kind of looks a little bit like a young Ian Holm, who was Bilbo in the uh, in the in the trilogy, and I'm guessing because they're supposed to be doing flash forwards, um, so you're gonna have some uh, scenes with Elijah Wood as Frodo, and of course Andy Serkis coming back as Gollum, uh, Christopher Lee coming back as Saruman, Kate uh, Blanchett as Gat Galadriel. So they're they've basically gotten everybody back, plus a whole bunch of new people to take on the new roles. And it sounds like it's going to be great. I'm I'm stoked. I'm super excited. Uh, Peter Jackson's already been releasing some video journal type diaries um, uh, over over the time, and I've looked at some of those. And you know, the art design, the production stuff they've shown looks amazing so far. So I can't wait. I wish it was 2012 already. I just hope we live long enough to watch it. Yeah, I, I thought the flash forward is going to be like the rumored. Tenth ending of uh, uh, of the third Lord of the Rings movie, Return to King, because yeah. you know we have nine endings. Well, we'll get that. We'll get that. Enough. We might get that on the uh, Blu-ray set, yeah. which is the the extended Blu-ray is due over sometime over the summer, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think and it's I've out. got that uh, heavily bookmarked up on my uh, Amazon page, uh, taking the place of the Star Wars Blu-rays, which I've heard are not going to be that great. So Blasphemy! Gotten pushed down. Um, so yeah, there's that. Uh, second bit of news for this week: uh, China opening a mega cartoon factory. Um, have you heard of any about this news at all, Kevin? No. Um, well, I they seem to be aiming for a big animation market, which is fine. Um, I guess it's more like a complex, more than a factory. It seems like it's a it's a it's a combination of many companies built, you know, moving into this complex. It's like an animation city, some kind of thing, right? That's what it looks like. It is. Yeah, it's it. It's not really clear. I mean, um, the article from is coming that I read coming from Film Biz Asia by Patrick Freider. Um, it says that the it's a state-backed facility. It's going to cost around four point five billion uh, RMB, or that's about six hundred ninety million. Um, and so they're already. You know, looking at different aspects, um, production, exhibition, training, research and development. It all sounds great on paper, right. um, but we'll just have to wait and see, you know, what comes out of it. And and this kind of ties in with some of the, well, another news story we'll be talking about in a minute with the, the current drive and push for animation uh, in the mainland, in part because of the animation dominance from the West with things like Kung Fu Panda and Kung Fu Panda 2, which is now out uh, in the mainland, and some of the subpar animations that are produced in the mainland, we've talked about a little bit before, like Pleasant Goat and uh, Big Big Wolf. So, I don't know, you know, I have a couple animations from a long time ago, from some Shanghai animation studios like uh, Naya and the Dragon Kings and uh, Monkey King Havoc in Heaven, 
which were great. I really loved those. So mm. there is so, sort of a historic tradition of animation. But the one thing that kind of <laughs> makes me question this is that we have heard talk recently about them saying that no more movies, you know, no more mythological movies, no more Romance of the Three Kingdoms movies, no more of that historical epic focus or the mythology focus that, you know, production is going to be focused more in the here and the now and the, the propaganda and that kind of stuff. So if that's the case, we're not going to see the kinds of stuff that they're talking about here, are we? I, I'm not sure if all those rules about supernatural and, okay, time traveling, that's a very, you know, the time traveling band comes with asterisk. Um, and it's basically talks about whether you represent the past accurately. If they end up, you know, following Romance of the Three Kingdoms um, accurately, uh, maybe they'll be allowed to make it. And I mean, the whole thing, the whole anim- idea of making animated movies because they have fantasy that are so hard to pull off, they can't do it in live action. And yet, so so then they would need animate the animated uh, form uh, format to do this. So I I'm not sure how much of these you know censorship stuff applies to animated films. You know, like uh, they, 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 the story mentions a movie called Legend of a Rabbit. I mean, we know that a rabbit cannot talk. That is supernatural. And yet it's okay to make an animated movie about it. Um, so I'm not sure how the rules work. There's very little transparency about this. Um, like you said, we don't even know if this thing is going to be built, right? Or if, if people are actually going to move in, if, if, if this whole facility actually be used, you know. But I think... Uh, problem with Chinese animation right is right now is that we have you know Pleasant Go and Big Big Wolf. Uh, another movie they mentioned it's uh it's a uh, Moon Castle the space. Oh sorry, that's like the third uh, Pleasant Goat movie. But uh, I think there are some other anime. There was the Panda 3D movie that was a co-production of Germany. I think the problem with Chinese animation is that they're still stuck in that um, old thought that animation must be for kids. Why has animation done so well from Hollywood? It's not only because um, you know they're good looking or they have good production values or you know um, they have a tr- they're they're like a create uh, uh, a creative uh, cultural hegemon or whatever. It's because I think Hollywood just knows how to make. They have better writers. They have more talent. Let's say it's a positive elimination. They have more talented writers working. They're more maybe more talented animators. Maybe they have more money. That is true, but. They have also learned that kids' movie doesn't have to be just for kids. I mean, they've learned that you can cross demographic. They can make these films cross demographic so you can attract um, uh, audience of all ages because that's what actually successful family movies are about. You have to make a movie that appeals to anyone from ages 3 to 80. And I think China still hasn't learned that with genre films. Um for example, all yeah, like like I said, I mean, all they get is no adult we're gonna go watch Pleasant Go with Big Big Wolf without without having a kid. So that I think it's creative. I mean, creativity is a problem that's really plaguing uh, mainland Chinese animation right now. And if you know if this facility can um, bring about some kind of you know exchanging ideas or or um, be up uh, between companies or or create better animation, uh, cheaper, uh, without using Cambodian sweatshops. And I think that would be a great thing for, for the market. And didn't, didn't they have an animation a couple of years ago called um, Sparkling Red Star or yes, something? Yes, that's the uh, propaganda cartoon that you were talking about. I think people just ignore that one. Probably, 
you know, and for the right reasons, I guess. Yeah. 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 Um, all right. Well, you know, I love animation. I would be very happy if they would come out and and do some decent animation. But I'm afraid of the rules and the censorship. You know, basically making stuff that's just terrible, and um, you know, trying to trying to invest a lot of money in it, where you don't have the freedom to be expressive, which is one of the you know, like you were saying you know, some of the powers of animation is that you can do stuff you can't do in film, well, you've got to have the freedom to do that. You know, for, for all the freedom that Hollywood has, and they can make cars talk, and they can make a superhero family, and they can make, uh, you know, um, a little robot alien, a lot of that stuff wouldn't fly under the, you know, the mainland censor rules with what they're doing, so. Whoa, you know, if if animation is, you know, have some kind of immunity from that, I think Chinese animation could be a very, very interesting place in the coming years. Mm, yeah. Um, but until then, you've got a story for us about uh, some people who are kind of anti-animation right now. Yes. Um, well, okay, they're not anti-animation per se, but if you guys remember uh, when the first Kung Fu Panda movie came out, um, there was a, a, a artist who mainly works with Panda uh, and... He tried to sue the makers of Kung Fu Panda because I forgot what it was for. Was it for copyright infringement or something like that? Um, but anyway, it didn't go through. He, of course, he lost the case, and I think he was pretty much ridiculed across the world, uh, including China. But now, um, Kung Fu Panda 2 has come out in China, and it had a record-breaking re- weekend. I think more than 100 million RMB in one weekend. I think it broke a record. One of the highest openings ever in the history of Chinese cinema. Um but this man, sort of man, of course, returns. Um, Zhao Ban, Zhao Ban Di, I think that's his name. Uh, he is back, and he he is, of course, again uh, criticizing Kung Fu Panda Two for um, talking about how uh, Kung Fu Panda Two is part of a cultural invasion against China, and that Chinese people must um, reclaim Chinese culture and make their own kids' movie fairy tales and things like that. And I think he wrote. Uh, some kind of manifesto along with two pr- fairly high-ranking members uh, or, or officials or employees of uh, Beijing Film Academy calling for a boycott of Kung Fu Panda 2 on June 1st. Now, I don't know why a man would ask for, call for a boycott of an animated movie on a weekday because, you know, you don't, you didn't have to call a boycott for an animated movie to, to have a low box office gross that day anyway. Um, and, um, you know, it's just kind of stupid. <laughs> you know, he doesn't realize that. I was tweeting it today that, you know, I think most people don't realize when you talk about, oh, cultural invasion, blah, 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 blah. It's like, you know, all foreign movies, uh, most foreign movies, the 20 that gets in through the quota system, they are distributed by Chinese companies. Uh, money goes to your own country. Yeah. Actually, how much, you know, it's okay, you, you, you boycott Kung Fu Panda 2, but that would also mean your country's company is losing money. Um, that kind of hurts your own country, doesn't it? Um, you know, I don't understand this whole cultural, cultural invasion stuff. You know, it's in a way, I, I'm at a loss for words, Paul. I mean, you can fill in here. What do you think about this, this boycott, weekday boycott of animated movie? Well, you know, uh, it, it seems like they kind of go through these stages where anytime 
the West comes out with something that's representing China in some way, they, you know, groups get up in arms about it. They, they did the same thing way back in the in the '90s with uh, Mulan. Um, I, I, you know, I'm sure they'll do it again the next time some other uh, China-related film comes out from Hollywood. Uh, you take it with a grain of salt. You know, that, mm-hmm. that, that's all. That's all you can really do. Um, this guy's gonna rant. Let him rant. But like you said, there's a, a lot more going on behind the scenes. There's a lot more connections and things you don't see. Um, and you know, what 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 does the guy want? I mean, Hollywood is addressing and promoting Chinese culture, not yes. communist Chinese culture, but Chinese culture, traditional Chinese culture to the rest of the world. At least their take on it. You know, mm-hmm. so it's not like. You know, if they weren't doing it, people would be saying, oh, how come Hollywood never makes any movies about Chinese people and Chinese culture? They always make it about uh, Africans or white people. That's not fair. Um, you should be lucky that they didn't get a white, a fully white panda in the movie <laughs> or, or a foreign panda that grew up in America and then go into China and save China. You know, yeah. at least nothing like that. All the characters I mean, in the movie are Chinese. Well, except for Jack Black. <laughs> <laughs> okay, oh yeah, I mean okay, they talk they talk like Americans, but at least all the characters they're in China. Yeah. They're is a civil is a civil Who is it? Uh, who's the who's the dad? Um, uh, um James um, Hong, right? He's a, we we are yeah, noodle so. folk. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, he's so, great. You know, and actually audiences uh I'm reading the story here, actually the audiences are saying that this guy, this panda guy is um is being stupid. Uh that a good movie is a good movie, at least um Pan, Kung Fu Panda One and Two are teaching Chinese people how to make movies, um, <laughs> and that and that you know it's, it it promotes a positive message. You know yeah. it shows a Chinese animal um, being the strong creature. I think it promotes a pretty positive message, no matter how many. And I mean, there's you know, so much there's so much intercultural reference in the first film. I mean, you can see plot lines taken directly from. I mean, they probably. I'm sure he probably doesn't consider Hong Kong cinema as Chinese. Because that's the you know barbarian colony, yeah. um, but you can see so many plot devices and hooks that were taken from Hong Kong cinema from the eighties and the nineties that were borrowed and used you know in Kung Fu Panda the first one. Um, so yeah, I, it's it's there's like I said, it's a lot more complex than this guy's making it out. He just wants to have a platform and rant and you know get back in the spotlight and you know more power to him. Obviously, this guy is pissed that DreamWorks didn't give him part of his cut. So he is going to keep fighting this movie until he gets to make his own Kung Fu Panda movie. And I don't think... It's like I was saying before we started recording, I think they should get Panda Man from Taiwan to go over and beat him up. Yeah. Yeah. Jay Chow. Uh. Oh, wait. No, it's like Jay Chow's minion. But yeah, Jay Chow. Minion. (laughs) Yeah. All right. uh, Another bit of news this week. Also dealing with the, the mainland. Um... The film group Hawaii has unveiled plans to build a theme park. Uh, approximately the cost of a $460 million uh, theme park development to go into the Suzhou area, which is um, somewhat north of Shanghai, if I have my geography correct. Um, it's going to be about a 66-hectare park, and it's a joint venture. And, you know, the, the thing that's... They talk about in this article, this is another article from Film Biz Asia by Patrick Frader. You know, they're building so many parks in China. You've got the Disney Park. Um, they mention here the Universal Studios um, that's opening in, in Singapore. We've got a park 
here in Hong Kong, and we've also got Ocean Park. Um, I know this is a little bit different because this is going to be like a film studio, I guess more like Universal, but I've been to some of the TV parks. Have you been to any of the TV parks in the mainland? No, I've, I have no idea this like thing the, exists. Like the so-called TV cities. This is where they, you know, they're, they're like replicas of different types of village houses and, and there'll be replica, full-size replicas or, or scale-size replicas of the, the, like the Forbidden City Palace and things. And this is where they film all the TV drama stuff that they do in the mainland. Um, and I guess there are a couple of these around. I don't remember where the one I was at uh, went to. It was somewhere in the south, and we visited it. And it's like you just go, and they, they put on some stunt shows, and you get to walk around, and it's kind of like you're in the Forbidden City, but you're not, you know, very postmodern. You get to, you know, you can dress up like the emperor and take pictures, and, of course, there's lots of souvenirs to buy. Of course, that's what it's all about. Yeah, but it wasn't that exciting. I mean, and what are they going to do? With a film studio here, I mean, again, I'm thinking of the limitations they put on filmmaking. You know, Universal, you've got, you'll have a King Kong ride, you'll have an Indiana Jones stunt adventure thing to go see, and you've got all the movie history and everything. I mean, what are they going to do here? You're going to go through and see, like, the making of the founding of a republic? I, oh, that's impossible. No, don't worry. That's trying to film group, but I can't wait for the uh, the message torture chamber experience, <laughs> or or uh, aftershock. Uh, yeah, that, that that's going to be a great ride. You know, <laughs> aftershock the ride because they used or, to have they used yeah. to have the earthquake ride in in Universal and they kind of did away with it. But yeah, and you get to see the ten hundred thousand people die right in front of you <laughs> on IMAX screens, or like no, the they'll just yeah. they'll just push real extras into a hole, <laughs> you know, because they've got the manpower to spare. Yeah, uh, Detective D, hunt the real deers. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know what they have. What kind of, like, actual franchises do they have to sell? I mean, yeah. uh, all they have is, like, really serious big uh, blockbuster films. And, you know, they don't have an anchor. You know, you know, at least Universal, you have, like, Jurassic Park and you have, like, Back to the Future. You have real film franchises with real theme park potential. Um but, you know, what does Hawaii have? Hawaii have all these, hmm. you know, like, city of life and death, you know? And it's like, you know, you go to Universal and you'll see characters come out. You know, like, the Ghostbusters will come out and, and uh, or um, uh, the Professor from Back to the Future will come out. And, and you know, the, it won't be the original actors, but it'll be character actors and they'll do little skits. So they're going to have, like, like, a Detective D guy come out and... Uh, and do something you know in the street it's it's just it seems like a really weird concept it'd be it would be great if they did it and they did it well and it sort of opened up the industry a little bit but i don't know i'm not that i'm not that um well how, how can i say it I, I i don't have that much faith that they'll do it, they'll, they'll do it correctly. I, I, I do look forward to the message torture chamber experience <laughs> <laughs> pick your take your take your poison yeah. like what's your favorite way to get tortured all right I want the needles, Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> all right, that's enough of that. But before we get on to the East Screen segment, um, why don't we do a little bit of uh, gossip? We don't do that much gossip news here. Um, big news going on right now, all through the the tabloids and the newspapers, is, is that there was an, some event that happened that is leading to the supposed split between uh, Nicholas Tse and his wife, Cecilia um, Chung. So, Kevin, what, what's the scoop on this? Because I've only been looking at the covers. I haven't really delved very deep into the 
articles themselves, but you've been tweeting uh, with our friend Kozo a little bit on this. Um, so, what, so what's your take on it? Give, give us the scoop. Okay. Um, all right. So right now, uh, the rumors, no one has actually confirmed anything. So just by saying this, we could be sued for libel, but I doubt that would happen because I'm sure Nicholas does not listen to this podcast. Why the hell would he? But anyway, um, the rumors are that we've been told or I've read that um, Nicholas Say has officially asked Cecilia Chern, um, they've been married five years, for a legal separation. Now, um, so so what is the reason behind this? For yes, so we, we, I'm doing this like memento style. So this is the ending, and we gotta go back. The the apparently the tipping point um, has been rumored uh, was that Cecilia has. Um, was on a flight from Taiwan back to Hong Kong, and she ran into Edison Chen in first class because that's where all, I guess, people should run into uh, in first class. Uh, and apparently Cecilia was real friendly. She even switched seats, uh, hung out with Edison. They took picture. They took a picture of, uh, of them together, and they talked like friends. And problem she never told Nick. So. Apple Daily got the scoop, and uh, it was a big story. You know, oh my God, these people are, are talking again. They're not fighting each other, and things like that. And apparently, Nick was really mad, and and he's not talking to her. He wouldn't celebrate. He, he banned her from going to the set. He's shooting uh, Dante Lam's new movie in Malaysia, and he's banned her from the set. And she ran off to Taiwan on her own, and now they're like in this cold war of sorts. Um, that's what Apple Daily says. But um, according to a more, I guess, more reliable gossip um, reporter, I suppose, um, I forgot her name, but she has a daily, she has a show every morning on commercial radio. <laughs> Excuse me for a minute. Sorry. Okay. Um, where, where should I go back to in case you want to edit this out? Uh, yeah, commercial radio is fine. Uh, she was on commercial radio and she said that um, the problem actually goes back further. Um, that Cecilia um, is kind of demanding one in the relationship, and that um, she wants you know Nick to sign over how her uh, you know properties and uh, uh, shares of the uh, of his post production company, and that uh, she they they apparently argue over little things, and that actually their relationship were deteriorating even before the Hong Kong Film Awards. Um, so the uh, the plane ride at Edison Chan was only. The, a, a small, a small thing that pushed it further. Um, so right now, apparently, they are not doing very well, um, and that she predicts. Um, and this is, you know, she actually she is quite a well-known gossip columnist or whatever journalist, whatever you want to call it, um, radio host. And she does have talked to a lot of celebrities. And her her the tradition of a show is that. Um, gossip will show up on a newspaper and she would have these celebrities get on her show and actually clarify things. So she is, you know, a pseudo trustworthy source. She she predicts that Cecilia would try to patch things up, bring the kids over to Malaysia. Um, Apple Daily reports that um, Cecilia has already asked the, the in-laws to, to intervene. Um, you know, how does this, okay, so back to our podcast, uh, what relate to our podcast, how is this going to affect Things. Well, apparently Cecilia, um, in her emotional state, um, bailed on on her latest movie, uh, directed by Calvin Poon, uh, produced by Stanley Stanley Kwong. Uh, she has she is now back on set, uh, so things are okay. Uh, so, but you know, I'm guessing things are a little delayed. 
Um, also, Nick is shooting Dante Lamb's big budget action movie in Malaysia. Who knows um, if they split up, what would happen? Apparently, Nick is a good guy in this relationship. He's prepared to, um, again, according to this radio host, he is he is the one that did sign over properties to Celia. He would give her anything she wants. Um, he would even give uh, her the custody of the kids. So apparently, he's a good guy. Cecilia will go back and crawl on her knees and ask for forgiveness. Um, I just hope it happens that way. I mean, they they seem to be a good couple. And Nick, going back to the days of the photo photo scandal, he was the one that that took her back. Um, apparently, um, so you know, I hope things work out between them. They they seem to be a good couple. Um, and Cecilia deserves, I guess, some sort of happiness, even though she sounds like she's the she's the B I T C H Y one here. Um, you know, and yeah, as that's all I can say in terms of gossip. Mm. Paul, what what do you think? Do you want them to split up? Do you uh, think Cecilia you know, is I, I could care. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but 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 I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's I, I'm I've never been a big fan of Cecilia's her films. I mean, some of the, some of the stuff she does is okay. Uh, you know, but other of it, you know, could you know take it or leave it. Um, Nick, you know, he's gotten he's gotten a lot better, and it'd be a shame. Or him to have a family blowout and have something that would kind of push him away from his career for a while, I guess. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, my big question is, what the heck is Edison Chen doing in first class? I mean, isn't he, like, done? Hasn't he been, like, totally out of the limelight, not making money, not doing anything for a while now? Well, his family's rich, and he has a clothing company. So a clothing company makes him plenty of money. I guess. Um, he works. He works with a lot of... Um, well-known, um, so I'm looking for well-known uh, cl- uh, overseas designer. So there's a business going. He has overseas shops. So there's mm-hmm. money there. Uh, he also does music. Um, he, it, still, it, he released an album last year. Is his clothing album. line called Yo Dog? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it, if you hear his songs, you know it. It's C O O T. Yo C O T. Yeah, it's like blood clot when I as in the blood clot that results in my brain when I listen to his music. Yes, exactly. Kind of thing. Yes. Um, but no, no, I mean, Madison Chen always fly. You know, he's fly, he's been flying first class since he was like a baby because his family can afford it. So that's not really a big deal. And Cecilia earns like, you know, $12 million a movie. So she can afford it too. Yeah. Um, but should we, should we try to judge this situation as in why? Because me and me and Kozu were talking about today, you know, I can understand why Nick would get mad. And I can also understand Cecilia being the, well, what it, was the big deal? It kind smells of a little fishy to me. It smells more like, let's do a big thing in the news because we've got movies coming out kind of a thing. Um, well, Cecilia doesn't. Uh, Cecilia, not until, not for Because isn't months. this like a comeback movie for her that she's doing? Well, no, her her comeback movie was uh, also ends well. I don't, yeah, I don't think this that's is kind true, of... I guess. Uh, and after the photo scandal, it is not the kind of news she wants anyway. You know, I'm sure she likes to have the nice mother. Her publicist would not like this. Let's say her mm. publicist would not like this. It doesn't help her public image, especially with Nick now being told, being spoken as the good guy in the relationship. You know, the one who's giving willing to give Sia whatever she wants. And meanwhile, she's like back. You know, being all friendly with this guy who. You know, took these pictures of her and, and like stuff like that. Um, I don't know if this is a publicity stunt. Yeah. I have seen better executed publicity stunts than this. You're probably this, right. Um, the yeah. real question is, will this get Edison a cameo spot in the third Batman movie? 
<laughs> well, I'll be more out of focus. I'll be more out of focus. But you no, know, I ho- I wish I wish them the you know I wish them the best. I hope they resolve things. Um, they you know. Won't the kids, somebody the please think of the children? Yeah, somebody please think of the children. <laughs> yeah, I mean the, the kids are cute. Uh, all right. They need their father. They need their father and mother. They need yeah. the they need the fun party goer mom and the and the really serious dad. And yeah. they need they they need Uncle Eddie to teach them how to be cool. Yo yo yo. Uh, they need Uncle Kevin to beat up Uncle Eddie. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. It's time to move on. So we'll play this. Alright, we've got one East Screen film to cover for this week. That is the latest Andrew Lau feature called A Beautiful Life. Uh, haven't seen this one, so Kevin, the ball is in your court. Sure thing. Um, a Beautiful Life is um, the latest film by director Andrew Lau. He co-directed Infernal Affairs and he, I believe he last directed Legend of the Fist. Um, so he's one of the... Um, Directors that gone mainland, uh, making films in the mainland, um, and this is his latest uh, tear-jerking melodrama. Um, it stars Xu Qi and Liu Ye as a pair of lovers in Beijing. Um, it's a story of two halves, you can say. It's uh, this uh, Andrew Lau's attempt at a tearjerker, and I mean it because he said it in an interview. Uh, he said he wants to, and I'm quoting here, almost almost literally quoting here, is that he wanted to make a movie that p- to make people cry. And there are a lot of crying in the movie. Off screen, I also cried because this 122-minute movie would not end. Yeah, I, I, I watched the trailer, and it looked like there was a ton of crying in the trailer, too. Yes, everyone cries in this movie. Um, um, Shuchi cries, Louie cries, his retarded brother Tenang cries, the girl cries. Anthony Wong can't cry because he's blind. <laughs> he plays a blind man, so he can't cry, but I'm sure he wanted to. Um, even the dog cries. Um, the, the, the car cries, even though I'm guessing it was spilling oil. Um, I cried. Um, the people next to me cried because we all look, because I keep telling them there's there's 30 minutes to go. Um, <laughs> everyone cries in this movie. Um, yeah, again, like I said, this movie has two halves. Uh, the first half is a romance. Um, Shuchi plays a, a Hong Konger named uh, Puyi. Uh, she is a Hong Konger that is like many, I guess, Hong Konger these days. Um, is trying to make a living up in the mainland. Um, she works in real estate. Um, and of course, that means lots of drinking, lots of um, working overtime. And um, I think that's the most interesting aspect of the movie, showing the the plight of the Hong Konger um, uh, struggling in the mainland, trying to make big money, trying to survive. Um, and in one of those nights, she's you know drinking with the businessman. She meets... Uh, Fang Zhengdong, uh, played by Liu Ye. He's a heroic cop in Beijing. So you already know this is a fantasy movie. Um, and um, she is, uh, Pu Yi is in love with a, a married man, played by Andrew Lin. Uh, it's kind of an abusive, I guess, one of those abusive relationships where um, Pu Yi really wants something. Her boyfriend can't do it, so she gets nice guy, um, Fang Zhengdong, to do it for her. Uh, and, you know, he's always playing the good friend, you know, um, doing all this stuff for cooking for her, uh, uh, taking her home when she gets drunk and things like that. Uh, eventually, she realized that she loves him. 
Uh, and then we hit the second half of the film, which is where Liu Ye, uh, Fang Tiandong, realizes that he has an illness. He has an onset dementia, so which means he's slowly losing his short-term memory. Um, so the rest of the film deals with uh, how uh, Puyi deals with that. Um, now, first of all, a Taiwanese actress playing a Hong Konger struggling in the mainland where she is speaking perfect Mandarin. I'm sorry, that just doesn't cut it for me. Um, all is shoot, the movie is shot partly in sync sound because both leads speak perfect Mandarin. You know, that already takes out this whole element of a Hong Konger speaking, you know, working in Hong Kong. It's not the character isn't convincing to me because one, her Cantonese isn't even fluent. Her Cantonese still has an accent and, and they're communicating perfectly. They have no problem with communication. Um, I know the story sets that she's been, you know, going out everywhere, you know, like moving from city to city for years. So she probably speaks perfect Mandarin, but the whole character doesn't convince me. Um, and I know it sounds like I'm biased because I'm a Hong Konger, and I'm just saying, you know, they didn't get it right because they had a Hong Kong director, a Hong Kong scriptwriter, and they still can't get it right. Why do you think they cast her, not somebody like uh, Sammy or, you know, another Hong Kong actress who can who can pull some drama when they need to? I, you know, I guess Sammy would have been actually Sammy. You now you're talking about Sammy would have been fine, fine pick for the role. I'm guessing because Shuchi, Andrew Lau's worked with Shuchi many times. I guess um, I mean, Shuchi's, you know, she she does fine this movie, especially in the crying scene. She's a fine actress here. Um, I'm guessing there's certainly some contract issues, maybe. Um, there's not many actresses that can pull this role off. Uh, I think Sammy could have been one of them, you're right. But I guess, you know, this didn't work out. And I guess they wanted to cast Shuchi because she's more popular in the mainland. Or something like that. I think it's one of the mainline market. Um, and that's where the mainline market comes in. Uh, the film was written by Hong Conner. Um, the screenplay is written by Hong Conner. Tan Kit, Tan Kit Ming. Uh, she is a, formerly a novelist slash radio drama writer. Uh, she wrote the original novel for Needing You. So just a little trivia there. Um, Andrew Lau is producer and director. So they're both Hong Conners. And they pander like hell to a Chinese audience here. Um, and I'm gonna name two two instances. Uh, at one point, I think Xu Qi was in a situation where she could have easily bribed some cops. Uh, so Liu Ye, the the Fang Zhendong, the heroic cop, comes in and says, "Wait, you stop it! This is in Hong Kong. You must follow the law here in Beijing." Yes, that's what happens. Literally, a, a Beijing cop telling, saying to a Hong Konger, "This isn't this is in Hong Kong. You must follow the law." Um, that yeah, was very, you know, like, if they're going to put a ban on fantasy and yes. and, and science fiction, um, you know, a cop in the mainland not taking a bribe is uh, is definitely not credible. So yes, and in a situation in a bank, uh, Shuchi is trying to get a loan, and the guy in the bank says, "Well, if we're in Hong Kong, I would give you this loan, but this is Beijing, so it's not going to cut it." It's just <laughs> <laughs> and that, okay. So that's what is this, and it um. Even worse, because Anthony Wong plays a Beijing bar owner um, who is blind. And at, at the wedding, at Fang Zhendong and Puyi's wedding, Anthony Wong walks up and says, Hey, for Hong Konger, you're a lawyer woman. At that point, the guy next to me, who is actually a good friend, uh, Dr. Sean Tierney, he raised his middle finger up. <laughs> and, and I'm sure he wanted to scream some kind of profanity. We lost it. You know, this is a Hong Conner in a movie directed by a Hong Conner telling a Taiwanese actress, hey, for a Hong Conner, you're a loyal woman. You know, it's just like, the, wow, the degree of selling out here equates to 
you know, I don't know what it equates to, but this is like, this is like the worst instance of a Hong Kong director selling out to pander to a mainland audience. And it's really, it really annoys me how, how badly it panders. And I'm guessing it's some sort of poetic justice that's that the movie flopped in China. Hmm. Um, and I'm really glad because this, you know, and there was an article today in Apple Daily, um, you know, pointing out these things, how, how, you know, how, how, hard, how, terrible, how terribly Andrew Lau is pandering to a Chinese audience. And I'm glad someone else is figuring this out because this movie, it's, it's, it's ugly, you know, as a, as a, you know, it's so ugly that I don't even, I want this only as a Hong Kong film. I know it's, it's co-financed by a Hong Kong company. It's directed by a Hong Kong or stars, actors that are well associated with Hong Kong cinema. But, you know, whenever I look at that, I just want to remind Lu Ye that he's, 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 he's married to a French woman. But anyway, okay, that's that's something else. Um, back to the movie. The, the Who romance. Is, Lu, Lu Ye is. Lu Ye is married to a French woman. That's right. Uh, that's like the status quo for for. I mean, what's 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 her name? Uh, Zhang Ziyi. Uh, isn't she married Zhang to Zhang Ziyi? French man. Yeah, and Joe um, uh, Shun, Hong Conner, now Hong Conner. Tang Wei, now Hong Conner. I think Lu Ye is also. Hu Jun is definitely a Hong Conner. I mean, look at all these. Actors and 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 all these entertainment figures um, um, taking up other nationality. You know, if Hong Kong, you know, China is so great. Hey, why do you have to? Why do you have to? I'm just saying. Okay, back to okay. Now from this, uh, enough of the political stuff. But back to the film. Um, the problem with the film also is not just this Hong Kong pandering thing because you know maybe you know you could blame that on me. You know, being biased. You know, being a Hong Kong and all that. But another problem with the romance is that. Shu Chi is playing this materialistic Hong Conner who is essentially using this guy's kindness for her own advantage. And she, like, at no point in the movie she is she re- feels any remorse about that. Uh, she's just crazy. And that, you know, it was really annoying, that, that, part, of fil- that, that part of the film. And you, you just wish, you just try to scream at Liu Ye, get away from her. Get away from, why are you still why are you still going, get away from her? And that kind of makes the first half, the romance the first half, really uninvolving because you know, you're dealing with such an unlikable character who just kind of changes for no real apparent is, reason. Is she, she getting typecast? Because that sounds a lot like her character from If You Are The One. Well, uh, well, her character in You Are The One is not so bad because she's not materialistic. She's just in love with a married man. And she's a confused, a confused young person who didn't want to marry a 50-year-old man, which, you know... I don't blame her. You know, it is good yo that she was dealing with there. But <laughs> I, it's, it seems like Hong Kong characters are slowly getting typecast into this materialistic. This is more like Karen Mock in uh, Road Less Traveled. Hmm. Uh, similar character, even but more annoying and more crying in here. Um, and that was a problem. It's just that the romance was never really convincing because finding you know, this guy is way too nice, not only to be a Beijing cop, but to be involved with this woman. And... By the time the illness part comes, um, you know, apparently the thing changes that changes Puyi is that she goes back to Hong Kong, realizes what a f- terrible family she has, and that part was also really terribly handled because it was so one-dimensionally. It was the family is so one-dimensionally terrible that you're like, no wonder. But then it doesn't work because again, it's still it, it's never convincing. And then the, when the movie gets into the illness part in the second half, it just wouldn't end because it keeps throwing these convoluted situations that lead to nowhere. It just brings more tears and everything goes back to normal. For instance, at one scene, a character is giving birth and then the doctor, you know, they're all nervous and they're all waiting and the doctor runs out and goes, you know, there might, there might be trouble. Um, and, and, and the doctor asks the, the father, what do you want me to save? The baby or the mother? And the, the guy is like, okay, oh, the mother. 
And next scene, they're, they're like holding the baby and everything is safe. And you're like, what the hell was that for? You know, it just um, there are at least two big instances of that in the second half of the movie. And you're just getting tired because the movie wouldn't end. And they keep throwing these convoluted situations, conflicts, dilemma to to give the movie some emotional climax, to give it some tear-jerky moments. And then the movie just simply ends kind of where it was, you know, 45 minutes ago. So it didn't really lead to nowhere. And it just... I never felt a 122-minute movie and get get to the ending that slowly. And I saw Return of the King and it's 10 endings. <laughs> so so I, I know what I'm talking about. Um, also, again, the fantasy world, you know, um, Feng, Zhang, Feng, Feng Zhendong apparently surrounds himself with characters, you know, these these um, physically disabled people. You have a deaf girl. You have a mildly retarded little brother. You have the blind Anthony Wong. And you have the materialistic Hong Conner. It's like the fantasy world where people with problems all gather into one big clique. You know, in a fantasy world where Beijing cops are heroic and they never they never block block foreign journalists or they never beat up foreign journalists or they never you know terrorize uh, poor people. Uh, but wait, the movie never actually showed the cops working. Um, whenever you see the cops, they're either yeah, Fang Zhendong standing in the street talking to um, um, Puyi, and you know Puyi is illegally parking, but he's all he's all in love, so he's just talking to her. Or they're like standing around watching watching Fang Zhendong go mad, and they never do any actual policing. It's really a strange movie. Um, That's probably re- quite realistic. <laughs> yeah, it's actually quite re- the part where there's a, a scene where uh, 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 Puyi wants to report a crime, and uh, she wants to find Fang Zhendong, and the cop is like. Well, I can't do anything for you. I don't know. I'm like, that's real. That's real. <laughs> the cop not doing anything for the for poor citizen. That's that's real. That's real. The rest of the movie isn't. That's real. Um, so luckily the actors are fine. You know, like I said, Shuchi is fine. Um, Shuchi is good at crying and she does her best. I know. I mean, she realizes she's not Hong Konger, but you know, she just cast in this movie, um, and she does fine. New Year is fine. New Year is a okay um, hero. He is essentially playing the nice guy uh, in a fantasy world where the nice guy gets a beautiful girl and, you know, he does his crying stuff right. Um, there are many award moments for the actors here. So, um, like I was tweeting last week, this is almost like a drinking game movie. When someone sheds a tear, take a drink. If, but if it's an award bait moment, then you take two shots. And I, I, I promise you, I promise you, you'll be, you end up the night like a Chinese businessman. It is. It is full of those moments. It's, um, they cry naturally. I just wish they had better characters to work with. I just wish they had better material because they're fine actors and they shouldn't be wasted on this kind of crap. Um, I'm sorry, I went for lack of a better word situation there. Um, in conclusion, a beautiful life. Um, not so beautiful. I would say um, TV is a morbid curiosity to see how low hat has Hong Kong filmmakers like Andrew Lau gotten. Um, skip it if you seriously trust my trust my opinion. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, That's that, a tr- trick question. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't trust my opinion, then you will see it, and I guarantee you, you will trust me. You will trust me with your life because seriously, this is a trap you're walking into. But I, you know, it, I can see why this review might bring, you know, might might get some people curious about it, and it is worth you know that much you know it's tv it watch it in bits in portions you know since it would never end anyway so i'm sure you would take about two weeks with it um honestly i'm not sure what it's gotten you know fairly okay word of mouth in china and i think some people in hong kong has liked it 
Um, I, I, I was looking at the ad in the newspaper, and uh, one of the quotes says, uh, I think it's quoting a review saying, where's my function dong? And I'm thinking if you're, you know, uh, praising a movie for having like a best man ever character, your life has problems. <laughs> it's not the movie's fault for being making this good hero. It's your life has problems. That's all I'm saying. Um, yeah, it's um, so, you know, at least Liu Ye now is a nominee for the best man ever award this year, along with Donnie Yen's uh, Lord Guan and uh, Daniel Wu's character in Don't Go Breaking My Heart. We have a third candidate now, Fang Zhendong from A Beautiful Life, unrealistically best man ever. Uh, I'm sorry. Donnie Yen gets best man ever for All's Well, Ends Well, 2011. Yes, that's what I was saying to Kozo as well. <laughs> God, yeah. But but I say... But I, a man sorry. who does kung fu with makeup. Okay, <laughs> ladies? That's exactly what every woman wants. Kung yeah, fu with makeup. Can, who can put on makeup for a woman. That is like the best man ever. But I think we have to automatically disqualify Donnie for the best man ever. For the best man ever. We can say Donnie Yen presents best man ever award. Because he, he was a creator of this quote. Because of painted skin, he was called the best man ever. So I think I think we have to automatically disqualify Donnie Yen. Um <laughs> From from this award, but yeah, a new candidate, Fang Zhendong. From I think know. his current commercial automatically disqualifies him from everything. I think that leather pants that he was wearing, the Donnie Yen leather pants that, that he was wearing for. Have you seen the commercial he does, the uh, shampoo commercial? I've seen. And he's he's yeah. like wearing all blue or something, and he's like, it's it's like he's just wearing this preppy outfit, but he's doing kung fu, and then he's rubbing his fingers through his hair. <laughs> it's like, come on. <laughs> The man, the man needs to make a living. You know, I can't understand. It. It's, I use hand and shoulders, so <laughs> I one day I will be Donny. I will be the best man ever. No, you'll be uh, Chen Zen, <laughs> beating up Japanese. Yeah! Okay. So, so okay. So conclusion. Okay, let's stop this. Okay, beautiful life, terrible movie. Um, make me angry as a Hong Kong. Might not make you angry as much because Shuchi is hot. Um, do we have best man ever? Um. Watch it if you're morbidly curious. Uh, skip it if you trust me. I I suggest you pay two hundred dollars for a ticket if you don't trust me. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> when you make love.
what I need. <clears throat> um, one of these days, I want to just let you kind of sing the whole break for us. Yay! <laughs> Gonna rock it. Okay. Yeah. East Green, West Green. All right. It's time to talk about our West Screen film for this week. And that is the movie Love and Other Impossible Pursuits, also known in the West as The Other Woman. Um, now, this is a bit of an odd film. It was actually released in 2009, I guess, on some festival circuits. Got some limited play internationally. Only now, in 2011, is it getting regular theatrical releases, both in the U.S. and here in Hong Kong. Uh... I'm guessing in part because of uh, Miss Portman's, you know, performance in some other bigger movies like uh, Black Swan and Thor, and she seems seems to be, you know, popping up all over the place now. Some people are saying they're having a little bit of Portman overload, uh, as it were. But uh, we got a chance to see the film, and what can we say about it? Well, it basically tells the story of a modern family. Um, that's been sort of riddled by divorce and uh, cheating and uh, children and everything kind of mixed up together, and it's kind of an interesting look. I mean, when you look at when you look at families today, where you've got families that have been divorced and and remarried, and you've got sort of the Brady Bunch thing going on in some cases. Um, in my own, you know, my own family, uh, my parents divorced when I was very very young, and uh, both sides remarried. And I had a very interesting family dynamic as a result. And I have friends, very similar cases. I also have friends whose parents basically stuck it out and stuck together. But I think more often than not, you know, the concept of the tra traditional modern family, especially in the West, has kind of broken down a little bit. Um, and so this movie kind of takes a look at that from the perspective of the other woman, hence the alternative title. And the movie is about a young woman named Amelia, uh, Amelia Greenleaf, who's uh, played by Natalie Portman. And she is working at a new law firm. And while she's there, she meets uh, one of the partners, a man named Jack. And she is smitten by him. Unfortunately, Jack is married um, to, his, to a wife, a doctor named Carolyn, played by Lisa Kudrow. Um, but as things happen, the two end up working together. And one thing leads to another. They end up having an affair. And during that affair, um, Amelia becomes pregnant. Uh, we learn all of this sort of in a series of retrospective flashbacks. Um, when we first meet Amelia, uh, Amelia, she and Jack are married. And she is uh, trying to build a relationship with uh, Jack's son from his first wife, Carolyn. We also learn that uh, Amelia is dealing with the loss of her own child, Isabel, who only survived for three days. And so that sort of sets up the, the dynamic. You've got the tension between the current wife and the ex-wife, the fact that the current wife was, was the other woman and that the husband ended up leaving his first wife and setting up this very somewhat rocky relationship with, with the new wife. Um, and we also learn later that Amelia has father issues with a father who was uh, less than devoted to his own wife, Amelia's mother. And as a result, uh, this has soured her relationship with her parents somewhat. Um, 
the film seems like it's going to take on a stepmother and son relationship for a while between Natalie Portman or, or the Amelia character and uh, Jack's son um, named William, who's played by young actor Charlie Tahan. And that seems like it's going to be an interesting angle, only they don't keep a lot of the focus there. The focus kind of shifts to everybody um, and everybody having problems with this family dynamic, this family relationship. The characters are really realistic. Uh, There is a lot more depth um, that's brought out in these characters, but it takes a while for that to happen. Um, With the exception of maybe the kid. The kid is sort of kind of this quirky... um, I don't want to say Napoleon Dynamite-ish kid, because that's not that's not a good comparison, but it's the trend to make kids who aren't just normal kids. They're like super smart or or always have a clever comeback or always a bit wiser than their years. Um, that kind of, of character dynamic is brought into the, the, the character of the kid, but you don't really see much more beyond that with him. Um, the really sad part, though, at least for me, was I didn't really care about any of these folks because they all have such negative qualities, um, with maybe the exception of the kid, except he's so quirky that it's kind of annoying at points. Um, but Amelia is, in fact, the other woman. She knows what she did was wrong, um, and yet she has these expectations upon her. Um, you find fault in her parents for the way her parents are. You find fault in her husband, Jack, because he knew what he was doing was wrong as well. And the one character you think you might be sympathetic for, um, the character of Carolyn, played by Lisa Kudrow, well, she turns turns out she's really off her nut for much of the film, and you don't much care about her um, either. Although they all kind of have interesting moments, little little short moments, little short monologues where everybody sort of comes into their own. Um, I really think this film needed a lot more focus on the stepmom and son relationship. And I think if they would have pulled back, made that a little bit more of a growth process between the two of them, um, made it, done it with a little bit more of humor because there's not much humor here. It's, it's pretty much a straightforward drama. Um, it's a bit heavy hitting in, in some places. I think this could have worked better with a little bit of a lighter tone, um, it's not a bad film, but it's just one of those films where you see it and you kind of know what you're going into. And you, if you don't have a lot of expectations, you'll get some good performances. But it's not something you'd want to rush out and buy or keep in a collection or watch over and over again. Um, and, you know, obviously, from a geek's perspective, it's a chick flick. I mean, both these films we're probably talking about this week are chick flicks. It's a chick fest, uh, as it were. Uh, but my wife, who's a big Natalie Portman fan and, and loves pretty much everything she she's in, whether it's a geeky film like Thor or a drama like uh, The Black Swan, she was kind of bored in this because uh, it does kind of drag. It's got a very slow pace, and it's just telling this very realistic story uh, about these people, only you don't really care about anybody. They, they really haven't planned it out so that you identify or attach with anyone in in particular uh kevin you got a chance to see it what was your take on it yeah um well i didn't think it was very slow i think it was okay as a character drama um look at my notes here um the problem for me is that it was really just high society soap opera 
you know, you think that these people have better things to do. Like one one character is a very renowned um, um, pediatrician. You have a big time lawyer. Um, let Natalie Portman's character, just like her, went to Harvard and was actually a promising law practice. You know, lawyer became was becoming on the way, becoming a uh, promising lawyer. Um, you have a, a retired judge. You have these these people in high society, and all they have to do in this movie is make each other miserable. And you know, you just think you can't really relate to these people. You're right, um, and that you don't really care about these folks, and they're making each other so miserable. You think you know, just go back and doing your own thing. You know, it's okay. You know, it's a world where you know kids complain about taking taxis because you know it's not a car service, and you just can't really connect these people because they're in such such a you know that kind of world. And I'm guessing people upper middle class people might relate more to it than we do or something. Um, uh, but you're right. The character dynamics, um, they're interesting. Um, uh, Natalie Portman actually is really good here because her character is not a very pleasant person and they make, they do, they work really hard to make you understand why she's not a very pleasant person because of her family situation and, and the stepson and, and the, the ex-wife. And, and plus, everyone else is so unlikable that she comes out, you know, except for the husband. The husband is fairly um, uh, uh, sympathetic. But other than that, she, ev- she, everyone is so unlikable that, you know, she comes out being, like, the most likable character. Um, and Natalie Portman really makes this work. I think it's actually one of her most mature performances um, and that it could have been a nice contender for some kind of awards if the material was a little stronger. Um and like you said, every character has their little moments. Um, Lisa Crujo's moment is really good. Uh, towards the towards the end, there's a climax where her character finally shows a little bit of humanity. And Lisa Crujo did really well in that scene. She really nailed that scene. But the problem is that the, for the rest of the movie, she was such a nut. She was such a one-dimensional nut of an ex-wife. And again, you can understand why she would be that nutty. But you wish that she wasn't so one-dimensionally nutty. And 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 it kind of makes these moments that work a little more regrettable because the, you, you know that they're capable of it, but it just didn't do it. Um, I thought the stepmother and son relationship stuff was okay. Um, I like how they kept pulling back and forth. There's some little hope there, and then something else happened that shatters it, and it brings back a little bit of hope. I think it, it feels more like real life. The boy's a little annoying, Um but you know what? I can understand it. You know, with the character, with the people that he deals with, I, it, at least it's, it's understandable. It's something that you could you could buy. Is that the kid is not annoying just for the sake of being annoying? It's because of the people that's around him. So it's a nurture. De- is a nurture thing. Um, but u- ultimately, you know, it's just a really minor effort. Uh, writer director Don Roos, um, he was fairly well known indie filmmaker who made a movie called uh, The Opposite of Sex, um, starring Christina Ricci. That was a, his high point of his career because that really bought him the most hype. And then he did a Ben Affleck, um, Gwyneth Paltrow movie called Bounce. Uh, and then from then on, his movie got less and less attention. He's this mostly is, known for his writing work. I mean, he's he, he's written on quite a few films. He wrote Marley and Me. and uh, Yes, he wrote uh, Marley and Me. But as a filmmaker, uh, Opposite of Sex uh, was actually quite quite acclaimed i remember it was a really big deal in the indie world at that time because it was like it was such an acclaimed film um here this movie was shelved for years um i could see why it lacked appeal because of the melodrama and it played like a tv movie um and even with nally portman's name attached to it it only made 30k 
in the American box office, um, which is a little sad. I wouldn't say it's a bad movie per se. Um, I would say it's really a TV, a movie that's best for TV. Um, HBO, maybe HBO um, original movie. Um, I think it's on that level, and I'm not saying just because it's a it's a bad work or something. I just feel like the scale of it. It's not a very cinematic film, if you know what I mean. Uh, HBO does fine original movies, and they they do smaller scale movies with. Um, and I think this this kind of material might work with the network. Um, but and um, so just on that level, I have to say TV it. But just because I said TV, it doesn't really mean it's a terrible movie. I still recommend it on some levels because it does. Like you say, it does reveal an, uh, something about Modern Family. It does say something substantial, and there are good performances. Um, so I can say it was all like you know, it, it wouldn't have been lost. it wouldn't have taken too much if they would have just changed the camera style up a little bit and done it more handheld. It almost would have looked like it was a reality TV show. I, I'm not sure. I, yeah, I guess you could say that, but I can't imagine. I, I it might have felt yeah I don't think you want to do the reality TV show thing but no I I'm not saying yeah. that you want to I'm just saying that it's it's got that kind of a tone you know it's 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 I'm it's, sure. it's like is... you're just watching it because it's a train wreck and you know <laughs> that this stuff's all gonna come to a head at some point and you know that you know bad stuff's gonna happen I mean the there there's a scene where she takes um she takes the kid into eat ice cream and his mother um his real mother carolyn doesn't let him have ice cream because he's supposedly lactose intolerant so natalie portman's character is going to prove you know her her wrong because she doesn't believe her she thinks she's a overprotective control freak and you know that there that's going to be something that comes up later and it does and then there's more to it than that but it, it's just you, it's going through these paces, and you know the kind of conclusion it's ultimately going to work to, and it does, and it goes beyond it. It's just, it's it not a, a feel-good movie. Yeah, yeah, it's not a feel-good movie. I wouldn't say it's a it's a miserable movie, but um, I think a soap opera would be would be a more more uh, accurate portrayal. It's not like a it's not like it's a, it's a depressing movie. You know, people don't die or people yeah. don't have terminal illness and stuff. I mean, there is death, but. It's dealt with this kind of real world uh, afterwards um, healing uh, uh, direction. You know what I mean? Yeah. It kind of head towards some kind of healing, and and but like I said, I think a lot of the issues in it, it's just these people making each other miserable, and you would hope that they have better things to do. But you know, I guess it's almost too focused on the little things. Uh, I think that's that's what I pinpoint on. It's too focused on the little things. It was adapted from a novel, and I'm sure these kind of things work better in a novel. Um, here, it just too feels too. What it deals with is too petty. The attitude of it is too too petty. Direction, the approach, is too focused on the small things to really make the film feel substantial in like an earth shattering way. It has little revelations that help these characters grow, but. You don't feel like it was a substantial film, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, I think that's that's what it came off to me. Yeah. Right, yeah. So I'd say it's I'd say it's a TV, it, uh, especially if you're a fan of Portman, you like seeing her do more dramatic work. Um, but you might want to make it a double feature with no strings attached, as the second film, just to sort of get the dramatic taste out of your mouth by the end. 
oh no, it would just be terrible. <laughs> I wish there was a better, you know, it's just like I wasted an afternoon, I guess. Uh, no, you got to at least put one movie on a double, uh, one good movie on a double feature. I mean, oh, I like the strings attached. It wasn't bad. Okay. It made okay. me laugh. It was, it was okay, yeah. yeah. Listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. All right. We got a couple comments on the last episode uh, from the guys continuing our conversation about. Um, some of the Blu-rays and some of the releases. Um, there was a question about uh, The Killer, which is a Fortune Star uh, upscale, I guess, you, guess you'd call it. I haven't picked that one up yet, but I'm guessing it's not all that great in terms of what, what's been done based on my experience with the Fortune Stars that I have already. Uh, have you gotten that one already, Kevin? I did not pick up The Killer. I have checked out Bullet in the Head and... Um... Stuff like that. I, I have a copy of uh, Needing You and also, um, what else do I have? Running on Karma. Um, I guess in tip is the later films will look better. The later films where Mei has released uh, versions of it will look better. The older stuff that actually Fortune Star has owned all this time will not look as good. I mean, that's really a general guide to it. Mm. Yeah. Um, see, David Harris also asks, with Gantz, do you think there might be be might in time be a set that edits the two films and the tv version together to form a whole um so you had mentioned before that there was a like a tv segment um focusing on some of the side characters kind of bridging the two films a little bit and i I think i remember saying you know that's great It, it would be great if they would put everything together um in a set that was subtitled so that you know people outside of japan could could get access to that do you think we'll ever get a chance to see a set like that? Um, you never know with Japan. Japan is a is a big thing for sets. Um, but to be honest, I still haven't seen these big sets of stuff that came before. Like they did, Nippon TV also did franchises like Twentieth Century Boys and um, Death Note. And we've we've seen the two movies put together before, three movies put together before, but they've never done something like this where they have a separate TV spinoff. Um, TV policy in Japan, they're very much um, they they so they they charge so much money that I'm guessing overseas companies are, are not so keen on buying their content, so they always end up being a very protection protectionist industry, especially TV. Um, the films might get their big set. Um, they will more likely get a set locally than in Japan because I think Japan would rather put them out as local releases. I mean, separate releases to make to to make money, make more money. Um, the TV one is also coming out on DVD in Japan. Um, but if you really want the TV spinoff, I think um you might have to turn to certain other sources that might not be legal that I will not yeah. suggest. <laughs> Go to a science fiction convention. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Go to the like dealer that. room. Or, yeah, yeah, you know, go to the, uh, I'm trying to find the right, uh, find a big table. <laughs> yeah, find a big table. Um, because that's how, I, how I've had to do it. I found a big table. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's pretty much the only way you can see it. I would think that it, 
the, the the movies will come up English subtitles because it has a Hong it will have a Hong Kong release, but I doubt that the TV spinoff will be cons- will be put into consideration. Hmm. Let's see. Um, so a little bit further down, Gary writes in and he talks a little bit about uh, TVB, and we don't talk too much about TVB here. Um, but he says that the there's a new series starring Kevin Chang and Sam Lee in his first uh, TVB series repl- uh, called Ghetto Justice. And this is replacing uh, last month's Yes Sir, Sorry Sir, which I watched uh, all 30 episodes of because they've started broadcasting these with uh, English subtitles, finally. And uh, kind of a big fan of Moses and, and a lot of stuff he does, Moses Chan, a lot of stuff he does on, on TVB. Didn't really like him when he was back doing movies, um, but I'm, I like him a lot on some of the TV roles he he takes but i don't know do you watch tvb i i i was very disappointed with uh yes sir sorry so the way they ended i was kind of mad um i don't watch tv anymore because they're well i can't stand the dialogue and i can't stand the acting and it's yeah i, I think hong kong people deserve better that's so <laughs> I can, i'm sorry you know it's always raymond land moses chan kevin chang um it's just they never bring in new guys and these guys would yeah. never because back then you had stars that would naturally transition from from TV to movies and the last guy who did that was successfully I think was Louis Cool and you haven't had actors that good working with material any good material to show off their talent anymore yeah um but anyway that's a small well, we, I mean TVB. you know Raymond Lamb has been in a Jade and the Pearl <laughs> that's a good one <laughs> no I mean, there's a yeah they try they try to push Raymond Lamb as the next next one to do that but they're only doing that with movies financed by TVB yeah you know yeah. Um, I don't know Raymond Lamb's okay but he hasn't hit us he's not he's not there yet you know you know what yeah. I mean yeah, he's not yeah. quite there yet he's still I'm, I'm watching his new drama that comes on before Ghetto Justice um, it's called it's got a weird name it's like Sister of Eternal Flower or something mm-hmm. but it's basically a a retelling of the Square Pegs storyline, um, which oh yeah, the, the one character with, uh, of Awong was made, you know, the, the the mentally handicapped character was made famous, and then that was kind of pushed him into the film, the the the, the Kung Fu Mahjong films, where he was kind of a, a mentally handicapped character in those films as well. Um, this is the same kind of take, only now they've got uh, the actress Charmaine She. And she's the one with with the handicap, but it's it's you know it's cute. It's kind of a feel good kind of a thing, and I, I'm kind of into it. I'm not a big Raymond Lamb fan, but you know, um, I'm like, so glad you said that. I like Char- so I like Charmaine. Okay, yeah. Um, but I haven't. Uh, we didn't start watching Ghetto Justice because I wasn't sure that the trailers didn't look that appealing. We're recording it, and I'll give it a shot over the weekend and um, see if it's any good. If it is, I'll report back. My problem with TVB shows is that they never quite reflect reality. I'm not just talking about the, the mega-sized set, sets that everyone lives in now. Uh, you look at 80s TVB show, when, a, when, a, when, a, when something takes place in a ghetto, their houses look ghetto, all right? You got old people living in bunk beds, and the set is small as hell. And now everyone lives in these middle-class-sized homes yeah. that you know, none of us really lives in. And that's just one thing. But the second thing is the dialogue. Um, the writers and producers have figured out that they're writing these things for housewives, who could be cooking or doing something better at the time while they're watching the TV on. So everyone talks like this, all right? Let's say I, I set up a scenario. You got a knock on the door, and the guy will come out. Who is it? Who is it? And I was like, the guy's saying, it's, it's Bob. He's like, oh, Bob. 
Come on in, Bob. Oh, Bill isn't here. Why don't you sit down? Oh, sure. I'll sit down. Mm, would you like some tea? Sure. I would like some tea. Thank you. Oh, here's some tea. Oh, thank you. I got some tea. You know, it's everything. If you if you turn off the 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 the, the image of a TUB series for twenty minutes, I just listen to a dialogue. I guarantee you will still know what's going on, and that is the problem with, with TUB. They just can't. Every almost every bit of the dialogue is to explain what is happening. It doesn't. You don't have any real character speaking real words yeah. in it. And, 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 and that's pretty. I mean, even when I f- first started watching TVB. And they weren't having English subtitles. Um, I could f- pretty much follow along with any story. You know, right. they're never that complex. And even with my limited Cantonese, I could figure out who was doing what and who was the bad guy and who was double crossing who and who was going to cheat who and and those kinds of things. So it's not it's not deep. It's definitely soap opera stuff. Yeah, but yeah. Anyway, that's our rent on TVB. Yeah. Next thing you know, we'll, they will sue us for libel. Oh, that'll be great. <laughs> all right uh, i think that's gonna do it all right that's another show yay as always you can follow along with us at our website www.concast.com and you can leave us some comments there or um some stuff that you'd like us to talk about we'd love to hear from you there or you can pop over to itunes and leave us an itunes review um we'd be very happy to hear from you there as well you can follow us over on Twitter. We've got uh, one for the show. It's uh, twitter.com slash concast. Or you can follow the Golden Rock himself, Mr. Kevin Ma, in his daily exploits and rantings at twitter.com slash thegoldenrock. That's one word. Um, you can also find him in, out and about and writing on uh, different stuff. Where can they find your work at, Kevin? Um, these days you can find me writing reviews on www.ypmovies.com.hk This week I will be reviewing um, The Hangover Part 2 Which means, you know Paul, tomorrow we're all going to Macau And then I'll come back on Thursday and watch the movie just to get into the mood Am I the guy that gets lost? Yeah, you, we'll lose you on a roof uh, So you don't, get to, you don't get to come party with us But Kozo, he, he's going to lose a body part, I yeah, guarantee As you. long as I'm not in the room with the tiger That's all <laughs> All right, so can look forward to that. Our next show, um, episode 68, we'll be looking at uh, X-Men First Class and The Hangover 2, as well as the big Hong Kong hit, Virtual Recall. Yeah! Won't that be exciting? Yeah! Uh, and that'll be for next time. Final thoughts there, Mr. Ma? Um, I can't wait to talk about Virtual Recall, but for now, um, please trust me on A Beautiful Life. It's... it. I would like to hear what what cultural critics in Hong Kong talk about beautiful life, and I welcome uh, some kind of discussion about you know if uh, anything I've talked about you know Andrew Lau pandering to mainland audience, Hong Kong directors pandering to mainland audience. Um, is there a, a balance? Is there a place where it's too far? Um, I would love to talk about that. So let's let's get together in the comment section, and uh, we have coffee. And I'll leave you with this: If you'd like to watch an animated version of A Beautiful Life, just get. Uh, McDull, Kung Fu Ding Dong. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, So, as always, we will wish you good viewing, and we'll see you next time. See you next time, everybody.
Uh, cause that was the plot, right? Of Kung Fu Ding Dong, Mrs. Mrs. McDull going to the mainland and not being able to make it. Oh yeah, and yeah, having yeah, to go yeah. back to Hong Kong. Yeah, actually, yeah, not that. Yeah, uh, she just didn't you, cry all that much, right? She didn't cry, and she didn't meet the perfect man. Yeah, and and she went back to that lawless place, <laughs> lawless place, Hong Kong. But McDull met the curf- met, met met the perfect panda, right? Yes, he met the perfect panda who would guide him. Also played by Anthony Wong. Yeah, so there you go. <laughs> who did not say, for a Hong Kong pig, you sure are loyal. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, forget about Kung Fu Panda, Anthony Wong Panda. He was insulting. He was like, what's Anthony Wong doing? Come on, your Mandarin isn't fooling anyone, dude. <laughs> it's like, you're speaking like a Hong Konger. I hear the Cantonese accent. Don't go, for a Hong Konger, you sure? Oh, shut up. Yeah. It's just like... <laughs> uh, 